you look like mm-hmm. you're in, you know, good health, good shape, have, you know, live a great life. And hopefully you are right now, but just the fact that you're able to share that, look, I went through a period and, and I still might in the future where I'm not okay. Boy, does that just help, I, I think, ease a lot of people, a lot of maybe people younger than us into saying mm-hmm. it's okay to not always, it's okay to not be okay sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's funny. It, it's made me a better coach uh, because I've sort of, uh, you know, put, put some things to bed. This is the On the Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. In episode seven of On the Touchline, I talked to North Carolina Fusion soccer coach, Bo Farrell. One of the core beliefs I have as a youth soccer coach that In order to move the conversation forward with soccer in the United States, that we truly need our best coaches coaching at the youth level. As a person who's been doing this for a little while, coaching at the youth level isn't necessarily the most glamorous of jobs. In fact, it's a downright hard job most days. However, folks like Bo and others coaching at the youth level are the reason why soccer's probably making a step forward in this country. Bo shares his experience in sports psychology, what it's like to actually be married to a sports psychologist, and a number of other experiences he's had in the game of soccer. Before I get to my conversation with Bo, a friendly reminder that you can support this podcast in one of two ways. You can support this podcast financially by going to anchor.fm slash on the touchline and making a small monthly contribution. Or you can share this podcast out on social media with those in the coaching community, the playing community, or the soccer community at large. And that would mean the world to me if you're able to share uh, this or previous episodes of the show. When you do that, please use the hashtag on the touchline, and I will do my best to connect with you uh, in one way or another. We're currently on nine different podcasting platforms, and all the major ones, such as Google, Spotify, as well as Apple Podcast. Uh, On Apple Podcast, please leave a five-star rating and a review, much like guest from episode two, Shannon Matthews did, and upcoming guest, Alberto Gonzalez. You can reach out to me at any time with ideas uh, for future show topics or guests that you would like for me to talk to. They can be coaches, they can be players, they can be anyone affiliated with the game of soccer uh, in a number of capacities. DMs are always open at soccercoachjb on Instagram or Twitter. And now for my conversation with North Carolina Fusion soccer coach, Bo Farrell. Thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to chat with me. And uh, I'm, I'm glad it, it, it's so funny. I feel like a, a bit of a broken record or uh, 
like that song that's like the remix or whatever because uh, all the <laughs> the coaches that I've been able to connect with that um, you know I, we, we've traded a decent amount of messages uh, yeah you know on social media and uh, and whatnot and um, you know great to just talk and uh, talk shop for a little bit so uh, yeah thank you so much. I feel like once we actually do meet in person someday, we're we're not going to have as much to say because we're going to know each other so well. <laughs> I think you're I think you're probably right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a, a lot of similarities, I think, with uh, probably where we are in our lives with uh, with parenting and coaching and uh, yeah. everything, everything else we have going on. So, uh, yeah. Good stuff, man. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, tell uh, the audience a, a little bit about yourself and uh, your soccer journey, uh, whether it be as a player or as a, uh, a coach, and uh, how you've gotten to where you are uh, right now uh, coaching-wise. You bet. Um, I was born and raised in northern Wisconsin, so not exactly a, a, a soccer hotbed in our, in our country. Um, loved soccer and I played it as much as I could in whatever outlet I could, but accessibility and, and resource wise, you know, soccer was very much a seasonal fall high school summer club. That's about it. Kind of a sport. Um, but that was what I had and I loved it. And I was able to fortunately play at a small NAI school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Southern, Southern Wisconsin, a little school called Cardinal stretch. Uh, played my four years there, had a great time met a lot of good people I still stay in touch with and got into coaching I would say at a at a, at a very low competitive level me immediately after graduating I took about almost a full three years two two three years after I graduated to kind of figure out my next step in life and then I did and I, and I was coaching you know I would say again one team pretty low level which is which is fine um, I did end up packing up shop and made a big life move to Miami, Florida, uh, where I went to grad school. I went to Barry University for two and a half years, got my master's degree in sports psychology. And actually during that, between graduating from Cardinal Stritch and graduating with my master's degree from Barry, I had actually correctly, I, I didn't know if this was exactly what I wanted to do, but I correctly kind of started my licensing pathway. Um, so I actually graduated with a master's and I, and at that point I had my C license, even though I hadn't done a, a ton of actual coaching. Thankfully, one of the the great things that grad school did for me was it helped clarify what, you know, I wanted to, you know, my professional life's work to look like. And that clearly pointed to coaching soccer. And so when I moved back to Milwaukee, um, I did get, you know, pretty heavily into coaching and, Really, since that time in about 2010, it's been a gradual progression upward, professionally speaking, always at the at the youth at the club level, but in a, in a greater and greater capacity to the point where now all the moves that I've made around the country, mainly related to my, my wife and her career. I'll get into that part in a minute, um, have, you know, thankfully carried me up the ladder, learning new things, sometimes down the ladder, kind of taking a step backward to go forward. But it's it's all been about coaching ever since I graduated from grad school and it's been a wonderful journey for sure. That's awesome. Uh, so I, I, I'm really curious about the sports psychology and uh, you, you said something that, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of us as coaches go through at some point where we have to clarify, uh, you know, is this something we want to do 
you know, whether it be at the grassroots level, the club level, the collegiate level, uh, you know, any, any level of coaching professional level uh, that there is. So yeah. how did you take me through, how did you arrive at, you know, that conclusion of this is what I want to do with my life? Good, great question. Um, I would say it started, I'll be honest, it started a little bit selfishly. I knew that I, you know, wasn't the most skilled player. This is back in my playing days. I was a super competitive guy and that hasn't left, you know, competitive nature is just one of those innate things. I don't care whether it's, we're playing a family game of like taboo or Pictionary or if, you know, I'm on the field coaching or playing a game. I'm just a really competitive guy. So selfishly, I kind of, you know, just wanted to keep scratching that, that itch, so to speak. And that's kind of where coaching as a career kind of came about. I knew I loved the sport. I didn't honestly until grad school think about it as, as a career. But as I got into it more and as I got into like, you know, ways to impact kids versus adults, you know, a lot of methodology things with how to address players. Um, and as I got even deeper into just the actual soccer specific part of, again, strategies, best practices, et cetera, et cetera. I started to realize the, the impact positive or negative I could be having on, on kids lives. And that's what really started to draw me to, Hey, this is something I feel, you know, I can really do and, and, and do well and have that, that hopefully positive outcome on players that I work with. And that's kind of how it started and how it's evolved. And look, it, you and I both know, Jason, it continues to evolve, but at the core of why I do it, that's what I would say is why I started doing it. So how has that, uh, I guess, shaped your coaching philosophy uh, or sort of the, you know, the, the methodology that you subscribe to uh, as a coach? Yeah, um, soccer specifically, it's evolved into becoming a lot more about being comfortable as a team and as an individual on the ball. Um, I started out coaching, and again, that's, that you know, from 20, 2009 2010 to now it's certainly evolved but I started out as being a very organized I wouldn't quite go so far as say like drill instructor type but a very organized know how to defend well first don't worry about the ball as much kind of a guy and and those aspects are still very important but I've I've certainly grown into being a coach that does a lot more stuff on the ball when in possession what are we looking to do because I value that so much more now and I try to you know, show that value to my players um, as just a coach in general, not, not specifically just related to, to soccer, but um, as more just a generalized coaching, coaching philosophy or methodology, whatever you want to call it. I would say, Jason, I'm not doing my job as a coach, as a youth coach. If all my players are getting from me is soccer knowledge. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a big part of what we do. We coach soccer, but, that is a vehicle to, you know, hopefully teach them life lessons, whether it's, you know, adhering to, you know, good nutrition, good sleeping habits, um, just general working hard, holding yourself accountable, you know, all those things that may down the road pertain to soccer for some of these kids, but, but may pertain to just school or just their, their professional life or their home life. There's so much that, you know, I can, and I, I feel like I should be, teaching that's not just the x's and o's of soccer i feel like i'm you know missing a big opportunity if i'm not making them better people 
so to speak, and not just better soccer players. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I mean, we're, we're teaching them about life and, yeah. uh, you know, it, it just happens to be that soccer is the, the mechanism, you know, for, for which we do it. And uh, was talking to, to Andrew Green uh, last night and, um, you know, uh, he and I were talking about, you know, where, where do we see ourselves going uh, within the game of soccer? And, you know, I, for a long period of time, Bo, I thought to myself, uh, you know, maybe coaching at the collegiate level would be sort of the high end of, of where I would like to get to. The more that I work in the youth game and the more I work at the, the club level, the more I realize that, you know, this might be where I need to stay for a while. And this might be, you know, where I honestly where I might be my best, um, because I feel like they're such, uh, you know, young men, young women are so impressionable. And, you know, I always tell the story that uh, I, I've learned more from the bad coaches that I had versus really the good coaches. Uh, I, I could probably only name really one, maybe two, two coaches that I would uh, identify as sort of good coaches. And those weren't even in, in the sport of soccer. Uh, those were uh, actually in other sports. So, you know, uh, I was telling Andrew that I have definitely become more and more comfortable with this whole idea of like what a role model looks like. And, you know, you probably remember, you know, that that ad with Charles Barkley of, you know, I'm not a role model. You know? Not a role model. Yeah. yeah, right. And but I, but, but but we are. And, you know, we I mean, we don't obviously we're not with a, a player as much as uh, as their family or, you know, those close to them. But uh we spend a whole hell of a lot of time with them and uh, we see them at their best. We see them at their worst. And I, you know, I, I'm fascinated by that part of the game and, uh, you know, kind of the mentorship piece that we can provide uh, as coaches. So I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, how do you, how do you create that? And if you want to call it culture or how do you, I don't know, create that environment where players sort of can, you know, can be their best, uh, so to speak. I do it through, um, you know, I always approach things. And, and I, again, I, I have a real hard time talking positively about myself. It's just not something I naturally do well. But if I'm, if I'm going to be honest, I've, I've done a good job in my estimation of approaching things and creating that culture from a, a standpoint of start with, you know, positive. Can we take whatever's working well or whatever's going well and is good and address that first? With that, though, comes a lot of challenging players to, hey, we're good in these ways right now. How can we be even better? And and never, ever, ever letting them settle and saying, okay, we've reached a certain point. Let's just coast. Let's just be here and be happy with where we've got right now. If And again, as, as they get older, they can understand this and, and usually buy into this a bit more. But as their level raises over the course of a, you know, it's usually more of a, over the course of a season, you start to say, hey, this is awesome. Here's your new bar now. You know, you, you've shown me, you've shown yourselves what you're capable of as individuals and as a team. Um, now can we, you know, take this as our new bar and say, if, if it's anything less than this, well, that's not good enough for us anymore. So we always, I always try to accentuate what's going well, but, but, but keep them hungry, keep them saying, you know, keep telling them there's more out there, there's more to go. Don't ever feel satisfied so that they feel encouraged, they feel good about what they're doing, but they still feel that, that hunger to, to keep getting better, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And I love the, uh, 
you know, le- leading with positivity. Uh, that's something that I subscribe to uh, as a coach. And, um, you know, as I was telling uh, Colton Bryant recently that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if positivity necessarily was my default setting, say, five years ago, but I'm really trying to make it my default setting, not only as a coach, but as a person and as a husband, uh, as a father. As a father, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, that I start there, you know, each day, uh, start each day with gratitude and then kind of, uh, you know, uh, build it from there uh, each day. And ever since I've been able to sort of make that mind shift uh, change, I I mean, not only has my life become incredibly rewarding and, you know, it, I, I tell people it's like seeing the colors of a picture that you didn't realize were there previously sure. or experiencing, um, you know, if you if you go to a concert and you hear, you know, maybe the, the baseline uh, of a song that you maybe didn't hear before. It's sort of picking up on those very subtle things that were probably always there, but just now realizing that, man, that's like, that's so beautiful and that's so brilliant and, and whatever. So, um, yeah, it, it's brought tremendous happiness to my life. And, uh, you know, it, it's also sort of confronting, uh, you know, some of the things that I was going through personally. And so I guess that maybe leads to my next question. Um, we are fantastic uh, as coaches, generally speaking, yeah. of working, you know, in, in working with our players and parents and things like that in, in terms of how to take care of themselves. And you touched on this a little bit earlier about nutrition and sleep and, you know, how to train properly and how to rest and, uh, you know, how to spend your off time or whatever. So how do you take care of yourself uh, as a coach? Because truthfully, we're, we're running the marathon, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it's a never-ending marathon. It's marathon after marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what's that look like for you? That's a, it's a question I don't think about enough, but it's it's a very good one. Um, it starts for me, as I'm sure it starts for you with with my family. You know, I start to to. It sounds like a very general duh thing to say, but 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 I start you know genuinely missing like my heart aches when I'm not around my you know my wife and my daughters after a period of time. So you kind of reach that point, whether it's at the end of a really long day or sometimes just, you know, your second or third day out on the road and you haven't been home that much in a weekend. You just start to just miss them. So taking care of myself is starts with being around, you know, the three most important people in my life, my wife and my two daughters, if and when I can. I'm thankfully in a period right now, you know, nearing Christmas, um, very much a downtime, a little bit of indoor training, but that's really it. So I've had a lot of great family time during this kind of valley in in, in a a year-long season. But it's going to peak again, you know, coming up here in about a month. And, you know, then it starts to become finding those times to, to, you know, be a dad, be a husband, because that's just as important, if not more important, than being a really good coach. So for me, taking care of myself comes down to interacting and and being – not just present, but, uh, you know, a good positive presence for my family, just like I try to be on the field with, you know, with my players starts and ends with that. Yeah. I, I uh, love where you went with that. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, when we have that time, uh, just making the most of it and, you know, being present and, uh, one of the, the ideas that I've kicked around that I would love to have, uh, spouses, of uh, a lot of the coaches that I've spoken to uh, actually come on the show uh, at some point because, um, you know, my wife and I talk about this all the time. I mean, you have to be a pretty special person, uh, you know, uh, your wife, my wife, 
to to even say like yeah i'm okay with sort of living this kind of crazy you know topsy-turvy uh lifestyle and um you know the the support that i get at home is is unbelievable um i mean i i wouldn't be able to do half the things i do if it weren't yeah. for, you know for my wife and you know it's, preaching it, to the choir yeah preaching to the choir yes yeah and they're truly remarkable people and you know uh, my my wife is you know she's always shot me down uh when i've said hey just you know come on the show and we can just talk about it and just the normal conversation that she and i would typically have you know maybe over dinner or something like that but in this case, we would just record it. And so people can hear that, you know, it, there, you know, it, it's a, uh, every day is a, it, its own sort of, you know, you're navigating it individually. I mean, there isn't oh, yeah. this like picture of like perfect, uh, you know, we have it all figured out or whatever. I mean, we're, <laughs> I was telling someone earlier today that we, you know, we jokingly call ourselves the hot mess express because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it feels that way most days, you know, yep. and uh, yeah. So, I mean, trying to be dad, trying to be a good husband, trying to be a good coach, trying to be a good employee. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough for sure. So the, the word sacrifice in our family comes into play in the right way, but it comes into play so much. You know, I didn't quite catch you up, Jason, on my, on my full background. By the time I got back to Milwaukee after grad school, I was already dating Jenny, who's now my wife. Mm -hmm. And within that first year, I moved to St. Louis, Missouri, got involved in a, and again, an ever-growing, you know, it was a really great soccer experience in, in a capacity with St. Louis Scott Gallagher on the Illinois side, the big club there. Every move we've made since then, and every, you know, soccer move I've made, professionally speaking, I've made this, the, the biggest sacrifice of we followed her career. You know, I have my master's and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly well-licensed coach, but I, I married, you know, I married up. Most, most guys do, and I'm not afraid to admit that, but my wife has her PhD in, in sports psychology. She has a second master's in, you know, uh, social work and, and counseling. So we made the decision very early on, you know, to get to where we want to go as a family, we're going to have to follow her career path. And that's taken us in these different locations. Very fortunately, I've been able to continue coaching as, you know, in a full-time capacity in all these different stops we've made. We've been to Shattuck St. Mary's in Minnesota. We moved back to St. Louis last year, and now we've wound up probably permanently in uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. But it's, you know, I've made that sacrifice to say, wherever we need to go for your career, I'm going to make it work as best I can in, in my career. She makes those those daily and those yearly sacrifices of not having me around as much as, you know, the traditional family would have both parents around. and. So we go back and forth about the word sacrifice, but it's, you know, we both give so much. And I think in, in that way, we make each other better. You know, we're a better family because of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more about, uh, you know, marrying up. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I feel the same way. Uh, I, you know, I tell my wife all the time. I'm like, man, uh, it's, I'm surprised you even still talk to me. Uh, right. <laughs> 11, right. Uh, over 11 years later, uh, being married. I mean, it's like, Whoa, uh, how'd that happen? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, pre- we're pretty fortunate guys, Bo, for sure. Very much so. So, um, I, I guess my next direction that I kind of want to take things. Um, so, you know, being the, the father of young children and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, my, my son's eight and uh, have a, a two-year-old daughter and then have a newborn and the 
so thinking back to our our soccer experience right in terms of what the game uh you know i guess you could say what was it what it was able to provide to us uh as players um what would you like to see happen for your children wow um i i think much like i try to do you know for my players and this is not to say i'm, I'm necessarily going to coach my daughters if it happens great if not I trust that whoever's, you know, coaching them is going to do a great job, but I would hope that, you know, along the way they're being instilled with the same kind of just, you know, not always soccer specific, but just those values, hard work, accountability, dedication, perseverance, et cetera, et cetera, that I try to instill. And that whether they become highly successful division one soccer players or whether they, you know, don't even want to play soccer, it, you know, I think they will, but but my point is that at whatever level they take their their game to one day, whatever success they have there, I'm hoping that the longer term successes based on those values that have been instilled in them through coaching are 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 there all the time, and that's kind of what hopefully shapes them much more than just the game of soccer does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and and I would add from from my experience that uh, you know fostering that lifelong love of the game. Uh, so all the Amen. all the things that you know you named, uh, but you know I, I was telling Andrew Green this last night that um, you know I, I felt like I grew up in sort of the dark ages of of soccer in that trying to watch soccer on TV really only happened when the World Cup was on. <laughs> you got so giddy, uh, like I, I couldn't. You know I agree. Yeah, yeah, and you know where you grew up and and where I grew up in the Pittsburgh area. I mean it just wasn't really part of the fabric or the DNA of the, the culture. And I, I think it's the, the needle has definitely moved in a positive direction for sure. But, uh, you know, the, the fact that my son and I can have conversations about matches and he says to me, Hey dad, did you see that in the champions league today? Oh, or, um, you know, great. I'm just, I'm I, smiling right now. I'm sorry. You can't see me, but I'm smiling just thinking <laughs> about that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so talk about where we've come as a family, Bo, uh, because, so it was about a week or so ago, and it was a Monday afternoon, and my, my wife is, she was still on maternity leave at the time, and she's home with the girls, and uh, son's not home from school yet, and she texted me a picture while I was at work, and she said, um, she goes, I don't know if I would have done this, say, you know, five, ten years ago, but I'm actually watching the Everton-Watford match <laughs> Monday afternoon, Premier League, and so I, I texted her back, and I said, um, you know, our, our son's not home and you're kind of just doing this on your own. And she goes, uh, I just put it on all on my own and no one said that I had to watch this. And she goes, I'm really enjoying it. And, uh, you know, I, I will probably take some heat for this, but, uh, she's also told me, so in, in the midst of college football season, uh, growing up in very much a, uh, American football ish culture yep. uh, in, the, in the Pittsburgh area with the, the Steelers and college football and whatnot that, uh, you know, I, I had a college football game on sometime this this past fall, and it was a, a late Saturday night or something like that. And she came walking through our living room and she goes, you know, she goes, there was a period of my life where I would actually sit here and watch with you. Uh, she goes, it is really hard for me to have the attention span to even watch a college football game anymore. And, you know, I looked at her, I'm like, like, where, who is this person I'm married to? <laughs> <laughs> what have you done with my wife? Uh, is I, that you know? Is that in relation to because it's it's so stop start? It doesn't have the same flowing like always yes. some kind of action that soccer does. Is that what you're getting at? 
a hundred percent. And, you know, and, and I think, so I, I think a couple of reasons why, um, so, you know, the, the, the lack of commercials or lack of interruptions in a, in a match, a soccer match, you know, I, I mean, I'll have to say it, it's pretty attractive, right. As a viewer, sure. I mean, it's, it's continuous watching uh, of what's going on. I also, also say too, that, um, you know, watching our son develop and grow as a player, I think that is, uh, inspired her, uh, no, not only as mom, but, you know, is one of his biggest fans. And then I also think that the, the past World Cup, for the fact that, um, you know, just how invested all of us were in it. I mean, we were on vacation at the beach and we're watching uh, Belgium and Brazil, you know, hanging on every play. Yeah. You know, uh, our, our as a family and loving it. And not just, yeah. not just doing yeah. it because, oh, we think we should. It's like, this is what you want to do. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And our, our two-year-old was, uh, you know, she was down down for her afternoon nap at the time and, uh, you know, making sure that we didn't wake her up and, and whatever. But, you know, we, we had players that we were sort of following. And, you know, my wife saying, didn't he play for Everton at one time? And, <laughs> you know. He's a full-on uh, like, fan, oh, Jason. You've done well. That's, that's I, Well, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not sure who this person is. I, I think my <laughs> wife, like, uh, you know, I think the men in black came to my house one night and sort of did the, <laughs> the you know, the, yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, no, and, and I, I love it because I think for me, it just shows like football culture, or soccer culture. I mean, you know, use those terms sort of interchangeably. Yeah. But it, it really starts at home. And, you know, I, I didn't have that growing up. Right. My parents never played. Uh, had a handful of friends that played, but they sort of got interested in baseball and basketball and American football and, and other stuff. And, and that's fine. Uh, you know, and I played those things too, and and I enjoyed them largely. But the fact, you know, that really this all starts at home. And even to see my two-year-old now, you know, who knows if she'll play soccer or not, but the fact that, you know, we, there's typically a soccer ball almost in every room of our house. And whether, you know, whether it rightly or wrongly got placed there. (laughs) It's there. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. And, uh, you know, I, I found her at times just kicking the ball around, you know, if, if my son and I are out in the backyard, uh, when we have some downtime, I mean, she wants to come out and play and, you know, she's already, uh, if she scores a goal, I mean, she's all about the celebration and, and sort of the, you know, the, the, the pageantry of it or whatever. Yeah. So they, you got to start um, somewhere. It's, it's funny, Jason, what you're, what you're describing, because I'm going pretty deep here, like in the inner, inner core of what drives me the most to be the best coach I can be is because kind of like you, I got a late start playing soccer. I must've been eight before I even started. Um, I loved it. But what I know now about the game and how, you know, it very much starts at home and, you know, just falling in love with the ball at a young age can, can lead to so much more success down the line. Now that I know all these things that I obviously didn't know when I was just getting started and, you know, coaching education and just, the spotlight on the game has come so far. All those things that I feel that I didn't have when I was growing up and, you know, being shaped and molded as a player, I want to make sure that my daughters and, and really my, my players that I coach with, you know, that I, that I teach have. Um, so again, I, I just, as you were talking, I'm like, gosh, you're hitting, you're hitting, you know, pull on some pretty heavy heartstrings for me because, you know, I, you know, love the game from the minute I started playing. Well, I didn't start till I was like eight or nine. That's, that's late. In, mm-hmm. in the typical, you know, soccer framework, if, you know, if we can capture these kids at a younger age, just get them to 
like you're doing at home. Love the game, be around it, enjoy it. And then as they get in that five, six, seven-year-old age, start to maybe have some kind of semi-structured training and games to, to, you know, start to really drive the development piece along. You know, the, I never had that. Um, no one's fault. It just was what it was at the time. But I, mm-hmm. I would love to give my daughters every opportunity to have what I didn't have. And so I think I, I emulate a lot, you, you know, a lot of what you're just saying for sure. Yeah. So um, I guess uh, maybe go in sl- a slightly different direction. So tell me about the, uh, the move to North Carolina and what that has been like. Uh, and I, I have a follow up to that, but I'll, I'll save it for now. Sure. Uh, just because of coaching, coaching at the club level uh, for me has been, you know, arguably one of the best things that has happened to me professionally uh, as a coach. But it, it's not without its challenges. And uh, I'll, I'll touch on that in a sec, but uh, curious as to what the move to, to North Carolina has been like for you guys. Sure. Um, it was somewhat unexpected. It's been very positive. Let me, let me start by saying that. But um, we moved, again, for, for my wife's work, we moved from Shattuck St. Mary's, uh, I want to say around October of 2017, so just over a year ago. Back to St. Louis, she took a, a, a counseling, like a sports counseling job at, at Lindenwood University. And we kind of felt both because we already knew the area. We had lived there for about five years before moving away. We're back now. We have a lot of our old friends and everything. We kind of figured this is where we're going to end up calling home. You know, just, just rented an apartment, you know, in that first, you know, in that first year because we just were going to figure things out for the first year. I got connected back with St. Louis Scott Gallagher. Things look good. And then, honestly, out of nowhere, I want to say, like, January of this year, it's crazy how (laughs) this hasn't been that long ago, but it feels like it was an eternity ago. But um, UNCG, UNC Greensboro, where my wife got her her Ph.D. from, so it's her alma mater, one of her former mentors and teachers called and explained this new position they were creating in their athletics department. And it was actually me that had to, to tell her, you know, it doesn't hurt just to look. You know, I know we go, we're kind of thinking St. Louis is probably going to be it for us, but her parents are an hour away from Greensboro. Um, I've never lived outside of that little stint in Miami. I've never lived in, in the South, but it can't be, can't be bad, right? I, I, I'm conditioned <laughs> to the cold. I wouldn't mind getting out of the cold a little bit. Um, you know, why, why not just look and go on the interview, which they've, you know, opened the doors to and see what happens. And so she did. And, you know, she she kind of said, look, I, I'm at a good place in St. Louis right now. You're going to have to pass through several layers of what I want, you know, from a contractual standpoint to to, you know, to get us to move. But they, they did. It, it all worked out. And, and again, with me making that sacrifice to say, we're going to follow your career, Jenny, because it's the right thing for our family. Um, July of this year, we found ourselves packing up. We uh, we bought a home for the first time. And we moved to Greensboro, North Carolina. Just so happens, thank goodness, from a timing standpoint, that um, Greensboro United and a club out of Winston-Salem, which is like 45 minutes away from Greensboro, called Twin City, Twin City, you know, Soccer Association. They had they had merged at like the DA and the ECNL levels on the boys and girls side to form NC Fusion a couple of years ago. Just this year, they had started to like deepen those ties and and fuse together on, you know, more than just that top top tier level. So they were doing a lot of restructuring and and reorganizing and and you know, 
shuffling of, of personnel and whatnot. I thankfully got thrown in that mix at a very good time. And I landed with a full-time role on the, on the Greensboro side of NC fusion. Um, but I, you know, I coach a few very high level girls teams. I have oversight in the 11 to 14 uh, girls realm. And it's been a, a, a great experience for me because it's a lot of the same types of things I was doing, you know, in, in our first long-term stint in St. Louis, um, I'm able to now do in the South and it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned previously that, uh, you know, coaching at the club level, um, I, I mean, the, the support that the current club that I work for has given us as coaches has been pretty unbelievable. Uh, but, you know, as I mentioned before, there's it doesn't come without its challenges. And, um, you know, we, we sort of operate under a model that uh, the, the, the coaches are able to work through their problems and work through their issues and know a, a director of coaching can intervene if need be but largely the, the coaches have a lot of autonomy to uh to kind of problem solve mm-hmm. and so um you know the the relationship and the culture i think that uh, my, myself and my, my coaching partner have built with our parents has been tremendous however there also sort of is this kind of uh push and pull at times and i wouldn't say it's necessarily unique to our team it, it's probably uh you know, probably uh, more unique to the age group or, uh, you know, U10, U12 uh, boys and girls, but winning versus development, right? And sure. sort of this, uh, you know, ongoing conversation of, you know, how, how do you keep people happy? But maybe you're, maybe the r- results aren't there on the scoreboard, but, you know, we're seeing things that look uh, promising and things that give us sort of uh Hey, you know, the, the, the future looks really op- optimistic, right? But we're just not there yet. So how do you keep people engaged when that's going on? When you're, when you're not necessarily winning a lot? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, y- y- you touched upon it already, and, and I feel you're, you're, you're correct in saying you have to accentuate what positives are happening. And, you, you know, you can't just look at a scoreboard or a score sheet and say win, losses, goal scored, goals conceded that's your only definitions of of success. And I think, look, most parents do get that, but not all parents are super educated in, you know, just the the development piece and their eyes are seeing their level of what they think they're seeing. So it's on us as coaches, especially in those times when, you know, maybe you're not winning games or, you know, advancing to the semifinal and final rounds of tournaments and things like that, which are tangible measures of success to, to be, you know, to keep those lines of communication open and start by, you know, communicating with players individually and giving them little, little nuggets of positive, maybe taking three, four minutes with a player or two before training three, four minutes with a couple players after training, just give them some of that positive reinforcement. I noticed you're getting better. You know, I I saw you two weeks ago, not use your left foot at all in the game. And I challenge you in training and, and this tonight I saw you, Go to your left and try to complete pass with your left foot three times. That's really good. That's that's improvement. They take that home. Mom and dad hear from you know their their son or daughter. Hey, okay, there's real improvement happening. And then just being being diligent and consistent with emails. Um, there's not like a club policy at NC Fusion, but we were strongly encouraged to you know send that weekly commu- communication about the week we had and a brief summary, the week coming up. And within that summary, we try to win or loss you know talk about how the game went be open if there's things that didn't go well it's okay to say that 
but kind of highlight, you know, where we've come so far in the season and then talk a little bit about in training these next two weeks, here's what the girls can expect. Or in my case, it's girls. Um, so that they know, okay, he, you know, he, here's the direction that they're headed in, regardless of whether it's a W or an L, you know, there's progress being made. And, and at the end of the day, I think the vast majority of parents want that. They want their, their kid to be taken care of, have an enjoyable experience, and to see some kind of, you know, progress in the soccer, you know, world being made so that they feel that their investment is, is a worthwhile one. We all want to win. I, I do as much as Nick Rizzo, maybe not as much as Nick Rizzo, but, but as, mo- as, as much as most <laughs> coaches do. Um, but, you know, whether you're winning or not, you know, being very diligent with your communication to player and parent, I think, goes a long, long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I, I really like what you said there about the uh, sort of specificity of development, right? That if, uh, you know, the example you gave, that if someone's uh, – you know, using their non-dominant foot, yeah, and uh, you know, you're you're seeing strides made uh, with that. A- a- absolutely, that's very specific. Versus, uh, you know, both both doing a really good job. Well, okay, what what does that actually mean? Yeah, you know, get get a little more, uh, you know, tangible and, and specific with it. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the the parent communication is is absolutely uh, a must. Um, you know, and and two, it it saves. In some cases, it saves some issues from from bubbling up, but it also creates, I think, trust and buy-in. And you know, even if uh, a team or a, a club's going through a little bit of a rough patch, there's still this sort of uh, you know overarching belief that like you know we're here for your kids, we're invested in them, we want the best for them. We're you know we're not going to let uh, a defeat or a loss or whatever sort of cloud the big picture and. Uh, you know, uh, I, I mean, I, I just keep coming back to that. And I think that, um, you know, I, parents have told me and, and my coaching partner, they're like, you guys are incredibly positive. Yeah. And I, I you know, I, I say to them, like, you have to be because if if I can, you know, if, if I'm still festering a, a loss from the weekend and it's still just like, you know, really riling up my emotions and really just getting to me, then I'm not doing a good job processing and I'm not doing a good job kind of working through, you know, what did we do well? Where can we improve? Why did we lose? Uh, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I like what you said there. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it's such a complex, right? There's no. Can like, I add a little caveat to, to, to what I was saying? Yeah, go ahead. I'm also, you know, I, I'm sure you've probably listened to the 343 podcast as well, right? John Pronitz. I have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like a lot of times, you know, he's got a lot of different guests on it and he'll, he'll touch upon this every so often where he says, you know, we've almost gone too far in the opposite direction in our American soccer culture, where we, we de-emphasize winning so much that mm-hmm. it becomes not anything that we think about or, or, you know, accentuate is I do, you know, again, I talked about development being the most important thing. And, and when things aren't going well, you have to really, be, be diligent with that communication and catching them doing the right things that aren't necessarily leading to, to, to results. I also, though, Jason, try to challenge my teams to, to be okay with, with winning, if that makes sense. Like, it, it's okay to, you know, be a little bit pissed off after a loss. That, that shows me that you care enough, you know, that your desire to win is there. Now, you have to – there's a lot of gray there. You have to go about it the right way and – 
you don't want to make it just, you know, this black and white about winning, losing that's success versus not success. But, you know, I'll give you an example at halftime of some of my games, you can usually tell within the first 10, 15 is the game based on the two teams relatively even is one team looking a little bit better is one team looking a little bit, you know, weaker. And at halftime in some of those games where, you know, it's obvious to, to everyone, myself and the players included that we're the better team. I'll say to them, look, your challenge is to go out and, and show that you're the better team. And if that means winning the game, cool. That means winning the game. But more than anything, you've shown me with whatever you've done to this point this season and training and other games, you're the better team, in my opinion. Can you go out and, and you know, that that's pressure on a kid, you know, just like, you know, anything else. I, I put that pressure on them in the right way and say, look, this is not a, oh, my gosh, if I mess up, something's wrong. It's just a, you know, it's, it's OK to to be OK being the better team and then to go out and, and, and hopefully confidently execute that and, and believe in yourself in that way. Again, I, I, I don't want to make it seem like I don't emphasize winning at all, even at those U12, U13 ages, because I do a little bit and I, I try to do it in the right way. I, I hope I'm not coming off as being pompous or arrogant in saying that, but there, there's nothing wrong in my opinion with, you know, building that desire and that, that real competitive spirit to want to win um, in the kids that we work with. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, and with what you said that, uh, that John talks about on, on 343 from time to time that, um, yeah, I, I do think the, the pendulum has really swung that, you know, winning has sort of become that dirty word. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think both can happen at the same time. But however, it's not always easy, right? And you have to have development. And that typically is what leads to, to winning. So, uh, so I, I think that's a really, really great segue into a question that I like to ask uh, every guest that comes on the show. So what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong uh, in this country when it comes to developing players, whether it be to play at the collegiate level, to play at the club level, to play professionally, men or women, uh, from your experience? Yeah, um, I think that just, and we've kind of already touched upon this a little bit, just the the spotlight that is now on the game and the amount of clubs and coaches and amount of coaching education and amount of content that's put out to continue, you know, educating coaches, which then hopefully trickles down to, you know, developing better players that has come a long, long way. Um, I think we're doing not a perfect job, but a better job certainly than even you can say five, 10 years ago, just, just the amount of, you know, the, the, again, I go back to that term. I use the spotlight on the game, which at a young age can greatly influence whether a kid's even going to be interested or not, um, has come a long way. So I don't, not to sound like a businessman, but I think we've captured more of the soccer market now than we used to. And that's, that's at least a, a, good, a step in the right direction where I feel, and I'm looking at my, you know, in the mirror a little bit when I say this, Jason, but where I feel a lot of coaches and I'm speaking more about youth level coaches still miss the boat a little bit is in truly developing creativity in a player. And again, I, I, I say that knowing that I'm going to raise my hand first in terms of being guilty of maybe not fostering the most creative environment. I'm big on decision-making and can you survey the game and make decisions quicker? Yeah. I, I'm a very big. That's one of my main, you know, topics throughout a lot of my sessions is, you know, serving the field, recognition of time, space, getting the right body shape, and then being able to execute the right decision. 
but having the confidence, if, if you know you're just better 1v1 than a player, beat that player. J- just that simple, you know, I sometimes miss the boat greatly in terms of saying, if you found the right 1v1 in the right part of the field, you know, you don't have to make a decision anymore. The decision's already been made for you. You know you're better than that player, beat that player. Or if you know you're a better defender than that player as a forward, take the ball off that off that forward's foot and now we have possession. You know, those, I, I just talked about create, you know, creatively defending, which is, <laughs> I guess you can't really do. But just just some of those, like, you know, creative um, installations of confidence in kids, I think that I can speak for myself, and I think when I watch other coaches' sessions and when I, you know, see a lot of other coaches, you know, at tournaments or other areas, just that creativity piece, I still feel, feel we have a long ways to go on. Do, do you know what I mean when I say that? Mm-hmm. I, well, I was going to say, I, I feel like uh, you were you were at the session that uh, my, my coaching counterpart and I ran last evening because it's exact. I mean, oh, my God, Bo, you nailed it that uh, I mean, so many things there, because I, I tend to be what you said. I tend to be that recognition, decision making, body shape coach. And my son and I have had many conversations about that, um, you know, how important that first touch is and how to receive the ball and, you know, all these different things. But I agree with you that, um, and, and, and I don't know if it, for me, if I, if I, if I would use the word over coaching or if I'm giving them too many answers, but yeah, absolutely. I want that player to be able to make that decision. And if that best, and if the decision, the best decision is to take that player on one V one and to beat them, then do it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and own it and, and love it and, you know, whatever it might be. And I, I agree. I, I feel like. That's part of where I'm, you know, if I were to identify weakness in my coaching abilities, I, I would agree with you that that's definitely one for me too. And that, um, you know, I almost stifle players because I don't know if it's too regimented or too, I don't know, too guided maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I want them to be a little more, you know, free flowing or able to make that decision or come to that conclusion on their own versus giving them the answer to, if I, I could, you should have done. If I yeah, can provide go. one more example, a lot of times, and I, and I notice this myself with my like my six or my defensive central midfielder, whether it's in a in a four two three one and a four three three, whatever it is, you know, a lot of times, you know, I find myself coaching to to pass out of situations that often that often means involving the center backs, find a pass forward where you're already you know you can't turn yourself, definitely go backwards where there's now time and space to go somewhere else. That's a natural just pattern or, or an idea that you'd give a, a, a six a lot of times as you're building out of the back well what if that you know what if that player knows and is very confident in even under pressure creating their own space and, and turning and not having to you know release the ball that's a moment I miss a lot both in terms mm-hmm. of highlighting or, or explaining that that's an option and then coaching or teaching them to be able to do that confidently those are some of those creative bits that again I, I feel that we as a country and definitely myself as a coach still have a ways to go in. Couldn't have said it better, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you nailed it there. So if, uh, if, if folks want to connect with you, uh, what is the easiest or uh, best way for them to do that? Best way is on Twitter. Um, I don't really branch out beyond Twitter and the, in the social media environment, but I am as, as active and, uh, as much of a presence on Twitter as I can be. So, um, uh, at, Coach B underscore Farrell 
F-A-R-R-E-L-L is my Twitter handle. And like I said, whether it's a, a direct message talking about something specific or just general, you know, Twitter conversation, I, I love it. I do it as much as I can. That's probably the best way to reach out and get a hold of me. Yeah, great. Uh, well, Bo, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on the latest episode of On the Touchline podcast and talking chop for a little while. And uh, all, all the best, man, to you and to your family and um, to the to the girls. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm really excited to see where your journey takes you. Uh, it's it's pretty fun. And I'm excited one day to maybe, you know, connect and actually meet face to face, which uh, I look forward to. And all the best to you as well, Jason. Thank you so much. My sincere thanks to North Carolina Fusion soccer coach Bo Farrell for coming on the latest episode of On the Touchline. Uh, you can find new episodes of On the Touchline every Wednesday, and uh, there will be some weeks where you may get an extra episode or two. Uh, this happens to be one of those weeks, so uh, thank you uh, so much for the comments and the positive uh, experiences you've shared by listening to the podcast. Uh, if you have recommendations for folks that you would like for me to speak to within the game of soccer, and they could be coaches, players, influencers, referees, parents, uh, doesn't really matter. Um, this podcast is designed to really cover quite a bit of ground when it comes to the game of soccer. I would be more than delighted to reach out to them and see if they'd be interested in coming on the show. And you can do that by sending me a message uh, on Twitter or Instagram at SoccerCoachJB and uh, active on both of those platforms and would love to hear uh, your thoughts. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of On the Touchline podcast. And until next time, I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.